Hello world and welcome to So Curious, presented by the Franklin Institute. In this season, Human 2.0, we will be talking to scientists and non-scientists alike about technology and innovation surrounding the human experience. We're your hosts. I'm Angelica Pasquini. And I'm the Bull Bay, but you could just call me Bay. All right, here we are, first episode. This is it. This is it. How you feeling? I'm good. I'm excited. I'm excited to learn, get learned. Yeah, I feel like one of those kids at the beginning of that Magic School Bus episode, like, you know something's about to happen. It's about to go down. Absolutely. This is essentially the Magic School Bus <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Who's the lizard? Who's that little lizard? You know what? I didn't. Even, I didn't watch that show that much, but I know I miss Frizzle. Hey, I, yeah, I, you know that's kind of like without any pushback. <laughs> you got that. But yeah, I'm really excited to talk to scientists and and people that are like really talented in their field. I mean, there's nothing I like more than listening to someone who knows what they're talking about and. It's not something that I need to uh, necessarily know anything about. Like, isn't that kind of nice in this day and age when everyone has to have an opinion on everything and know everything about everything? Experts are becoming a part of the conversation. I think conversations are becoming democratized, which is cool, but experts should always be experts and stand out and always be that source of facts, studies, figures, measurements, documented things. And we're going to be talking to all of those different people in those different fields and their own bleeding edge technology, yeah. stuff, c- cognitive enhancements and biohacking. I would talk to anyone who's an expert in anything. I, in fact, that's like taking a vacation. You know, you can just like listen to somebody <laughs> talk about I like anything, Renaissance Fair, anything, anything like I will listen to someone talk about it. All right. So I was thinking about starting this podcast off without introducing ourselves at all and just jumping into the topics and being different. But no, let's uh, let's introduce ourselves and. My name is The Boy Bay, but you could just call me Bay. I'm a Philadelphia-based rapper, creative collaborator. And who are you? Hello, world. My name is Angelica Pasquini. I'm a comedian, writer, musician. I like to think about like the intrusive nature of technology and societal standards around modern living. Really casual stuff like that. Yeah. This is episode one. Today, we're going to be talking about cognitive enhancements. Yeah. Enhancing the mind. Yeah. I know how to enhance a room, you know, vibes, candles, incense, you know, furnishing. Yeah. Textures. I love all that. I mean, in terms of cognitive enhancements, memory, pattern recognition, so many different things. But focus is something that we all deal with a little bit. You know, our focus kind of trails off. What about you? Are you uh, someone that locks in on something and knows exactly what's going on and all the details and all the patterns? If it was up to me. I would just, I would love to have the ability to like focus on what I want to focus on and tune out the rest, you know? Like sounds and noise and people? Literally that, but also the cool thing about cognitive enhancements is the idea of like eliminating what's not necessary. You know what I'm saying? So it would be like, I love the idea of um, being able to pay attention to what I need to do. And then that alleviating like tons of time wasting looking all around. Right. I'm not sure if this is a superpower in like a good way or if I'm a villain, but I have an uncanny ability to just block people out when they talk to me. (laughs) Wow. So if I'm having a conversation with someone and I don't know if I'm just more focused or interested in something else, another detail, my mind will drift. I'm not sure if that's actually like a superpower or like a step back, a disadvantage or something. Yeah, I think that in some situations that could probably be really helpful. (laughs) I block people out all the time. (laughs) But that seems rude. So cognitive enhancements, a lot of the drama around this that people have in culture would be what is considered fair and unfair. 
right? So I think like any kind of enhancement, what does that mean? You take something and it needs to be better. The idea of it needing to be better at all is, you know, very philosophical, especially when it comes to the mind. This is where people get really tripped up because it's like, of course, we all would like to be enhanced, but what is the limit, right? And like, what are the um, parameters around that? And what is considered fair or unfair advantage? What I'm excited to do is just get to a borderline, a standard, a default. I think the word enhancement is a loaded term. People come to the conversation with so many different stories connected to it, narratives. It has like some negatives attached to it. Enhanced. Have you been specially enhanced? All these different ways. Uh, But it's not something to be scared of or frightened. It's something to explore and ask questions about. Or at least that's more or less my my take on it. Yeah. I think for me, it's we all have such different minds and we all have such different gifts. And it's cool to give people the opportunity to see where they have like natural gifts. And maybe sometimes we feel like we have to enhance ourselves to be able to do certain things that maybe we don't necessarily need to be doing. I mean, (laughs) like, I don't know, the SATs, for example. Like this is one way to measure knowledge, right? There's so many different types of knowledge. There's so many different types of people that are so uniquely gifted. I think sometimes cognitive enhancements, people might think about having to apply themselves in a way that might not come naturally to them. And they have every right to do that. But it's also cool to look at what is coming natural and sort of like lean into that as well. And I, I think you're entirely right. I love what you just brought up. All right. So let's transition into our first guest, because I think she has a better understanding of all the cognitive enhancements. today is Dr. Aaron Conrad. Aaron Conrad works in the neurology department of the University of Pennsylvania, where she specializes in epilepsy, seizures, and deep brain stimulation. Before coming to Philadelphia, she earned her MD from the University of Michigan in 2015. Her article, Attitudes Towards Cognitive Enhancement, The Role of the Metaphor and Context, was a vital addition to cognitive enhancement research. The piece assesses people's views on cognitive enhancement and how we might help destigmatize and educate about its use. Welcome, Erin. Could you introduce yourself? I'm Erin Conrad. I'm a doctor. I'm a neurologist specifically, and my specialty is in epilepsy. My research is kind of a combination of more quantitative EEG analysis, trying to kind of help improve outcomes in epilepsy, and then also uh, a little bit of ethics as well. And, And this is kind of how I forayed into a cognitive enhancement. I, I got really interested in neuroethics. And you kind of lit up around cognitive enhancement. Where did that spark come from? I did a lot of work uh, with Anjan Chatterjee, who's at Penn as well, and he was starting to do some work in cognitive enhancement. So he got me like, interested in it from a research standpoint. Can you define what cognitive enhancements are? It's where healthy people enhance their cognition. So this is very different from enhancing cognition for the purpose of treating a disease. So uh, as a neurologist, for instance, I prescribe medications like cholinergics to help treat Alzheimer's disease and improve thinking in that disease. And then psychiatrists might prescribe stimulants to people with ADHD or similar diseases. Increasingly, healthy people have started to use these same sorts of medications to enhance their own thinking. Why do you think people are making that decision? 
I think there are a lot of motivations. I'm most familiar with seeing this among students um, who are, you know, studying for an exam or something like that and may take stimulants to kind of help with their attention and their focus while they're studying. We also see a similar class of sorts of medications in athletes who are kind of taking performance-enhancing drugs. We're also increasingly seeing this in the workplace, people who aren't students, aren't athletes, but are just taking it to perform better at their jobs. Are energy drinks cognitive enhancers? I mean, they could potentially. Like, you could say a cup of coffee, you could say, is a cognitive enhancer. Like, anything that is enhancing your your thinking or mood or anything could be argued to be a cognitive enhancer. Can you talk about some of the language and the conversation going on about healthy people using cognitive enhancements? I think the kind of pro-arguments are some of the more obvious ones. That, you know, first, if as an individual, you know, you can improve your thinking, your mood, you know, any, it, it sounds great. Also, there are potential benefits to society. So, for instance, some people work in jobs where their reasoning ability, their their focus, their reaction time are critical to helping protecting the public. So you can think of like pilots or uh, maybe doctors, for instance, firefighters. So like I'm a doctor. And so medical residents who are kind of like young doctors in training. They routinely work 30-hour shifts without sleep. Which is wild. Which is crazy. <laughs> that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, that's a problem in itself. Right. I mean, that's the other thing about this stuff is sometimes it's like there's a solution here, but the problem is sometimes a societal one. You would think the best solution to the 30-hour shift thing is not stimulants. Uh, it would be like, a, you know, fixing the doctor shortage or something like that. But that's going to be hard to fix. So in the absence of that, like if you're a patient and you know your doctor is going to be sleep deprived, would you rather have a sleep deprived doctor or a sleep deprived doctor on stimulants? I, I'd rather them be well rested. <laughs> is one of the reasons the cognitive enhancers are such an exciting topic for you and many other uh, people in, in the field? Is it because you're pioneering? Is this all new? First of all, a lot of neurology and psychiatry are, are undergoing like an explosion now in terms of our understanding. Like the brain is so poorly understood and it's one of the last organs of the body that we don't understand very well. And then with cognitive enhancement, that that's really in its infancy, I think. But there's a lot of doctors and scientists that think that there's potential that the future incarnations of these could actually be really powerful. And so it's exciting to think about it from an ethical standpoint while it's still in its infancy. I would love to talk a little bit about your findings and your paper and talking about the framing and the language that we use around cognitive enhancement in society. The project that we did in 2019, it was a study of basically a public opinion on, on cognitive enhancement. Most of the studies that have been done so far were basically asking about the use of cognitive enhancement in students. But we were interested in looking at it more broadly because we're seeing increasingly people who aren't students who are just like taking it for work or for you know personal use uh, was increasing. And so we wanted to see what people thought about that. Um, so we did a survey of 3,700 people. We gave participants one of three different scenarios. We asked them to imagine a student using cognitive enhancement pills to help study, or an athlete using them to help train, or uh, an employee using them to help in the workplace. And we asked them, well, what do you think about this? Do you think this is okay to use cognitive enhancement in this situation? And would you do it yourself if you were in this situation? The first thing we found is that people were much more likely to say it was okay to use it than to say that they would use it themselves. We also found that people were more accepting of cognitive enhancement in the workplace than in either school or athletics. And that was a little interesting and unexpected. We, we had expected that people wouldn't really like the use of cognitive enhancement in sports. And we weren't 
expecting necessarily to see this difference where people thought it was more acceptable to use cognitive enhancement in the workplace than in school. So it wasn't totally clear why people thought it was more okay to use it in the workplace than in school. I have like a wild guess, only because we see work as a lifeline. This is how you make a living. If you are not able to work and you can't make a living and take care of yourself and the loved ones around you, so on and so forth. So we might have a softer attitude towards someone you know, being stimulated so they can stay up for 30 hours. That's my guess. And I will have to follow up with another survey. Yeah. Right. So you think like the benefits to the individual are are higher in the workplace. That's fair. Aaron, do you think that cognitive enhancements are cheating? This this is a, a cheating answer. But I think that cheating is defined based on the rules of the game. And if you set the rules of the game very clearly to say, don't use these drugs, then it is cheating. And then in school, I think that gets more complicated because then it's like, well, for instance, if you're taking a pill that enhances your performance right before you go into the SATs, that feels like not fair. What about, though, if you're taking that same pill to help you study for the SATs two weeks before? That is also maybe a a little less unfair, but still doesn't seem great. But then let's say, what if you took this pill, you know, 10 years earlier and actually made you smarter, able to learn more information, you know, down the line and then maybe go on to do more good things with that. That seems more fair. Like, it, it seems like it's it's a continuum depending on the context in which you're using it. I love that answer. The one thing that popped into my mind when you said that is like, well, who's making these rules? And how, and how are we uh, navigating these questions based on these assumptions, based on these standards and these rules? I have a question, too, about transparency around these things. So that we have like everyone has the right to be private about what they want to be private about. But when it comes to like hero worship and putting people on a pedestal, do you think that people being transparent about some of the enhancements they use would be beneficial to our society? That's a good question. So I think in the context of school, for instance, like being able to say, oh, I was successful in part because I was taking a stimulant. I think that that could be helpful to inform other people's choices, potentially in a positive way. Like if more people are using stimulants and that was helpful to them, then maybe that could be a good thing. I, We don't fully know the potential of these medications, both from like a, a positive and a negative. So I think for now, understanding what people are doing would be more helpful. In terms of the pros, it benefits the individual, benefits to society. And then in terms of the downside, so people talk about the medical risks, the psychiatric risks of like addiction. Some people are concerned about this concept of, you know, it fundamentally altering who we are. Other people are really worried about this coercion idea. Like, so for instance, you catch someone who's uh, taking performance enhancing drugs in sports and they say, well, I didn't want to take it, but I had to (laughs) because everyone is taking it. And then there's also this concern of like, exacerbating inequalities because imagine like these pills are probably not going to be free. So if they're available only to those who can afford them, then it's going to be yeah, exacerbating pre-existing inequalities. And then it's kind of like you imagine like taking SAT prep classes or things like that. It's just going to, you know, it's just another way for people who are already rich and successful to get more rich and successful. And also it is an answer to a societal pressure. Is there ever a time where it's like, all right, enough's enough. You're good enough as you are. (laughs) I think one way in which cognitive enhancement is different from, say, SAT prep classes is the idea of it being a zero-sum game or not. So if it's something like the SATs, I feel like that is a zero-sum game. It's kind of you're measuring your ability relative to other people's. But you can imagine if people are taking cognitive enhancing pills for their job, then depending on what that is, you know, everyone could potentially benefit. I think the the classic historical example I can think of this is Paul Erdos. Um, He was a mathematician and one of the most prolific mathematicians 
mathematicians in history. He authored over a thousand mathematics papers. Um, and doing this heavily aided by stimulants. Um, and one of his friends was kind of worried about him. He was like, I, you know, and he actually made him a bet that he couldn't go off of stimulants for a month. And Erdos took the bet and he did it. He didn't use any stimulants for a month. He was not able to write like anything. He couldn't come up with any discoveries. And he told his friend, you just set mathematics back a month. Um, and you can imagine the flip side of, well, maybe if you have people, scientists, whatever, who are, who are taking these, can they accelerate their discoveries and enhance social progress? So that that's like the, the big, you know, potential benefit of cognitive enhancement that's exciting. But, you know, with, against all of those potential negatives. You know, something that jumps out to me as well is for as like the work day and how many hours we should be working. Me as a young person, and I know a lot of other young people have an assumption that people are grinding nonstop. But a lot of the CEOs that we look up to of these big corporations, they work like two hours a day. And so I, I, I like using cognitive enhancements as a tool to at least kind of like deconstruct and ask these really important questions about, you know, work, who we are. What are some of the next steps, I guess, in cognitive enhancements? So first from a public policy and like public opinion standpoint, kind of understanding like how people feel about these different things, depending on the situation they're in. In terms of the actual research, before we even get to cognitive enhancements, like helping healthy people, like improving these medications that we have available to people with disease, and then find a way to translate that to healthy people. What do you think the future is of cognitive enhancement? The future. <laughs> so first, I think most universities, you know, ban the use of these stimulants for for non-medical like reasons. And, and also just the fact that like, so many people are using this out of proportion to how many people are prescribed it um, when it comes to like prescription stimulants, for instance, that that makes me think that, you know, banning cognitive enhancement probably isn't going to actually stop people from using it. So I think it is to some degree inevitable. Um, so then it's kind of a more about like, well, how do we then respond to it, given that people are going to use it. And I think part of that is so involving the public in the debate to understand like how people feel about it, whether they would use it and, you know, what context. So that is not just a bunch of like ethicists and scientists like talking in isolation. Um, but then, you know, also like I think that it's so hard to kind of talk about it now because it's still in its infancy. We The pills as they exist right now aren't that effective. And I think, though, as we develop kind of future versions of these that are potentially more effective and, and have, you know, their own kind of concrete risks and benefits, then I think it will uh, evolve from a conversation that's more abstract, so thinking about potential, like, benefits, potential harms into, like, a real conversation about, like, these are the benefits, these are the harms. And then I think it will become clearer what, what we're talking about. Erin, thank you so much for joining us and having this conversation. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for inviting me. Yes, thank you. That was awesome. Yeah, no, I always find it so interesting that the context plays into people's uh, opinions, right? Yeah. Well, I guess some people don't feel that way, right? Like some people are, you know, a little bit on the fence about that. Yeah. I love how she was so open about talking about the differences that people have in perception around this and that she kind of like empathized with that, you know? Absolutely. And even though it's her specialty, I think that she had like this very zoomed out sort of point of view and she was able to see everyone's point of view. I also love that she accepted us saying, hey, we put people on a pedestal that's superhuman yeah. and maybe we should take it easy around that. So how do you think the attitudes towards cognitive enhancement might push us to, I don't know, being better, faster, stronger, smarter, quicker, and all that stuff? <laughs> 
You know, I think it's all about people understanding what's good for them. And I think the best version of human 2.0 is like an integrated version of yourself where you're like, all right, what do I need? And what does that look like? And I think that some of these cognitive enhancements give people the opportunity to assess what they really need and, and even, um, have a team around them and have accessibility to it. Um, and even have the opportunity to say, Hey, guess what? Actually, no, it's not what I need. So as these research happen, I think the discourse is going to change around the context. Absolutely. And, and some of the framing of the questions might evolve. Mm-hmm. So continuously we'll, we'll gain enlightenment, but be confused. <laughs> uh, yeah, those are both always happening at the same time. It's kind of a beautiful thing. There's someone who can certainly shed more light on cognitive enhancement. We're referring to, of course, Franklin Institute's chief bioscientist, Jayatri Das. Let's welcome Jayatri now for a recurring segment, Body of Knowledge with Jayatri Das. On this segment, we will discuss our episode topics in a more open form. We're going to throw around some questions and talk about ideas. Welcome, Dr. Jayatri Das. Welcome, Jayatri. So what comes to mind for you first when you hear cognitive enhancements? Right. So I think about how do I make myself smarter, right? (laughs) Very simple level, right? Like I I need to be better. I, I need to... I need to do better on something. I just need my brain to work better. Right. That's the assumption in a cognitive enhancement is that we need to fix something. Right. Right. I think what surprised me when I first started learning about this was kind of how many people are already doing it. I have read a statistic that uh, if in a survey of like college students in the U.S., about 17 percent of students are already taking some kind of pharmaceutical cognitive enhancer. Wow. It's a little troubling. But I mean, well, maybe that's just my, that. Yeah, exactly, yes. exactly. I'd love yeah. to. <laughs> right. So when you, when you think about you know different types of cognitive enhancers, um, we can think about things like caffeine and nicotine, which are legal, and I think most people would think it's ethical because it's legal. That's a kind of an interesting connection between ethics and the law. <laughs> but I drink caffeine to get some energy, or you know, wake up in the morning, or focus before I'm getting ready to do something. So we're all pretty comfortable with caffeine. But then when you think about, you know, attention drugs like Ritalin or Adderall or drugs that help you stay awake like Provigil, like these are drugs that people are now using not to treat a particular diagnosis, but to do better on a test or to stay awake and study longer, things like that. Totally. I think, too, about like celebrity culture and how a lot of celebrities are taking things to stay awake and taking things to then rest. And they're traveling around the world and they're creating all this 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 work that people look up to. But the transparency around cognitive enhancements is is important to me because I think that if that kind of thing is talked about, then maybe more people would understand, like, you can totally accomplish these things. But please understand that there was enhancements and that there was help. I don't know. That's an interesting question. And I really appreciate that insight because, you know, people act human as if they're doing everything without any level of assistance. But there's a lot going on. And when you when you kind of like peel back the layers. Yeah. I mean, what you guys are touching on really gets at some of these ethical questions that social scientists have talked about when it comes to cognitive enhancement. So even getting beyond just like the medical risks of taking it um, when it's not prescribed to you, the authenticity of it, like this boundary between treatment versus enhancement and who defines what's healthy and what's enhanced. Talking about inequality, there are people who have access to these drugs and others who don't. And what does that mean in terms of 
who can get it and who can benefit from it. And then that idea of just unfairness, right? Thinking back to like doping and sports and things like that. So for this part of Body of Knowledge, we're taking to the internet. Ever heard of it? To see what people are curious about when it comes to cognitive enhancements. Cognitive enhancements to me are like the real housewives of science because there's so much drama around it. Everyone has an opinion. People think it's fair. Some people think it's not fair. Some people think it's none of your business. Our team, Google searched cognitive enhancement and we're going to read off some of the search results. Yeah, and really quickly, we asked the internet, of course, what do they think about, uh, you know, cognitive enhancements? And so we have some auto-fill questions here and... At the top of the list is cognitive enhancement for studying. There you go. <laughs> Probably that 17% of people Googling where to get those drugs. <laughs> right. And the next one down is cognitive enhancement for depression. That's such a complex one to unpack because there's so much that we don't know about what happens in the brain because of depression. People's ability to think and process is, you know, they just can't do it. But we don't understand enough about why they can't do it to be able to reverse it. Within uh, the realm of science and research, how is depression framed? How are scientists looking at depression? You talked about some of the complexities around it and not being able to pin it down. It's one of the biggest mysteries, I think, in neuroscience right now, is trying to figure out what is the brain chemistry of depression, what causes it, and how do you change it? And even when you think about antidepressants, um, we kind of know what they do, but we don't really know why they work and why they work for some people and don't work for other people. I think where we're seeing this relationship with cognitive enhancement is this, you know, general cry for help is that like, I just, I know that I'm not working the way that I, to be who I want to be. And, you know, how do I help that? And then, of course, taking into consideration the natural ebb and flow of moods, right? And just like the manic and then the depressed like waves that many people go through before accomplishing anything or truly doing even getting out of bed. It's like <laughs> almost depressed enough to become manic enough to do something with the day like that. That is often what I think about like and that I see around me, especially obviously with artists. But then you get to talk to people that aren't artists. If you like open up your world a little, I'm speaking to myself and you see that everyone <laughs> feels this way. Everyone. 100%. So, then, so there's this other thing with modern society and depression, which is like I think instead of something being wrong with you, maybe something is right with you. Because look around. If you're, like, not depressed at all, we got a big problem going on with you. <laughs> but, of course, there needs to be solutions to when it's getting in the way of, of being able to live a life, you know? But there are um, thresholds there that are interesting. Right. Again, like, you know, who defines what's healthy and what's clinically depressed? And what is that gradient? Gotcha. And the next one is cognitive enhancement in the elderly. Man, this is one of the questions that I get asked the most. <laughs> Of like, how do I keep my brain healthy as I get old, right? Because part of normal, healthy aging is some cognitive decline, right? Um, right? Our... I walk in rooms constantly and I'm like, why did I come in here? <laughs> you know, what, what was I going to do? Right. And you're not even that elderly, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that elderly. <laughs> That's a great phrase. Flame. Use that. <laughs> that elderly. We're all, we're all here living our lives along a spectrum. <laughs> right. Time is a construct, babe. It's fine. Um, but yeah, I'll, yeah. So people are asking that a lot, for sure. And again, it's just like, well, what what is sort of quote unquote normal aging, and you know, what kind of cognitive decline can we all expect versus like when is it a symptom of something more serious? The next one on the list is: Are cognitive enhancers worth it? 
That's a value question. <laughs> yes, it is. Worth. Like, what are you trading? Yeah. And what are you gaining? Right. You know, you brought up something a couple of moments ago about, you know, I know I can do this. So it's that perception of who you are and your ego. And like, I know I can do this. And so maybe the, the, the I don't know, the pursuit of that, you think anything's worth it. You know, you'll, you'll lay it out all on the line to perform the way that you feel that you could or should. Right. But if you think of cognitive enhancer as like a shortcut to an achievement, like, does it still mean as much? Ooh. Wow. Well, that's a great question. I think the last one, which I absolutely loved, was Adderall is life-changing. <laughs> I love that. That's the commercial. <laughs> I mean, it is, it can be life-changing, right? For somebody who suffers from attention disorder, this type of medicine can really make a huge difference in someone's life, right? And the question is, okay, but, you know, for that purpose, that's great. But what about repurposing it for somebody who just wants to do better on a test? Right. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much to Jayatri and Aaron Conrad. This concludes our first episode of So Curious. I'm excited. Hi, this is Angelica Pasquini from So Curious. You know what? We love making this show, okay? But sometimes there are great bits and we just can't fit them into the episode. So we put together a bunch of great bonus content and you can find that available at beyond.fi.edu. Thanks so much for listening to our premiere episode of So Curious, presented by the Franklin Institute. We're excited for the season ahead. We've got a lot of amazing science and guests in store for you. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening and mark your calendar for new episodes every Monday. This podcast is part of the Franklin Institute. The Franklin Institute is a science museum located in Philadelphia. The Franklin Institute's mission is to inspire a passion for learning about science and technology. For more information on everything about the Franklin Institute, visit fi.edu. This podcast is produced by Radio Kismet. Radio Kismet is Philadelphia's premier podcast network for businesses looking to develop their own branded podcast content. Check them out at radiokismet.com. There's a lot of people who make this podcast happen. Thanks to the producers, Joy Montefusco and Jayatri Das. Our managing producer, Emily Cherish. Our operations head, Christopher Plant. Our associate producer, Liliana Green. Our audio team, Christian Cedarlund, Goldie Bingley, Lauren DeLuca, and Brad Florent. Our development producer, Opeola Bucola. Our science writer, Kira Vayette. And our graphic designer, Emma Sager. See you next week.